0: Broadcasting live from the store and drain, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya, and I'm joined by my dancing clowns,
1: Mila, Louisa, and Zeba.
0: And in this episode, we are continuing with our theme lore and horror. But so before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can run all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast.
1: This week, we're going to be talking about the 2017 It movie directed by Andres Muschietti. In It, a small town in Maine named Derry is played by a grim legacy of death and disappearances, especially amongst children. When his little brother joins the long list of Derry disappearances, Billy decides to find the source of the town's evil. Billy and his six other friends, dubbed the Losers Club by the town bullies, all eventually have frightening encounters with Pennywise the Dancing Clown, a shape-shifting force of evil. Together the gang must face their fears and battle Pennywise, or else become its next victim.
2: Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Now we aren't strangers, are we? I should get going now. Oh, without you both?
3: I have a story and it's a bad dream I had a nightmare the theme of the nightmare was like the it movie clown recently you did? um it was like In the last few years like when the movie was a bit more relevant when I saw it when it came out like so I'm gonna say like probably like 2017 2018 vibes but I didn't actually find this movie in all honesty that scary I really love it but I don't think it's that scary Um, mostly because I don't really vibe with like too much CGI and like the dancing clown part when he's like in the fire just made me crack up (laughs) (laughs) thank you Zeva for that demonstration yeah, so that part, like, I just, I, basically what I'm saying is I didn't find the movie that scary, so it did surprise me that I had a nightmare about it, but <laughs> essentially what happened was I, if you, if you care, had a daughter, so I was a lot older, and I had a daughter, and I was in my house with my at home, so I was in California, and I woke up, um, and I had, like, a feeling, a motherly instinct that something was wrong. I go to the back door, like, to the backyard. And my backyard at home is kind of bigger. And um, and there was, like, a lot of fog, you know, like, spooky. And my daughter's just there in this, like, flowy kind of white nightgown, very, like, Victorian vibes. And I don't know why, because, like, why would I dress her in that? Um, <laughs> And she's, like, facing away from me. And she's, like, looking at something. And I can tell. She's, like, at the end of the garden looking at something. And I'm, like, okay, maybe she's sleepwalking. I can go out and get her. So I go outside. And I'm, like, okay, honey, what are you doing out here? Like, it's the middle of the night. And she just says to me, like, and it made me, like, it's, like, one of those moments that just made my heart drop. And she's just, like, I'm waiting for my friend. And I was, like, what? <laughs> and then I, like, like it's, like, a movie. Because it's also, like, my vision, but it's a dream. But it's, like, a movie. And I, like, pan. And I just see, like, the It, like, eyes. Like, the It clown eyes in the distance. And, like, I can see the rough outline of his head. And I was just, like... <laughs> Oh, no. So I'm, like, I, like, drag her, and it's, like, so, it's, like, one of those dreams where you're, like, running to get to the door, and it's, like, you're not fast enough, and, like, there's, it's stressful because there's a kid, and the kid's not fast enough, but she's too, like, she's, like, a seven-year-old, so I can't just, like, pick her up. It's, like, she has to run kind of thing. Um, it's It was, like, so stressful, and, like... It, like, is, like, at the same time, it is, like, running diagonally to, like, cut us off. And he's, like, yeah, he's, like, shuffling, like, as he does. And I'm, like, fucking freaking out. And, like, his mouth is, like, opening just as we're reaching the back door so we'd be safe. And it's, like, it's, like, a chase of, like, who will, what will happen. Like, will we get swallowed or will we get in the door? And then the dream cut off and I woke up in, like, a cold sweat. And I was, like, what the fuck? Yeah, so anyway, that was my it story. Um, Apparently it buried deep into my psyche, The actual movie really didn't scare me that much. In fact, there was times where I found it funny, but like in a good way. Like I still think it's a really good movie. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like I don't think a horror has to frighten me all the time to be good. It was still really good in other ways.
2: So what would scare you? Like what form could it take that would like get under your skin?
3: A spider for sure. I'm terrified of spiders. Lord of the Rings type or Harry Potter type shit.
0: There's a quite a few things that could scare me. To be honest, like you could, it could be a room full of praying mantis and I would still be terrified. But I would say uh, rats or roaches.
3: Barats? Barats the doll?
0: Rats.
1: Rats. <laughs> I was like, I love rats. What about you, Mila? Um, wait, what was, what was the question? What, what,
2: what, would, what shape could it shift to? Uh,
1: the clown. The clown, please! I'm pretty scared of clowns. I didn't see that for you, that's cute. I don't know, it's not like all clowns, but I don't like horror clowns. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. That must have been a rough time for you in like 2016 where everybody in the US had clowns showing up everywhere and then it just stopped.
3: Yeah, that was a weird time. Wait, so Zayba, what would yours be? I'm curious.
0: Oh my gosh, cops
2: on horses. (laughs) Those two things scare me separate and I cannot go to parades. (laughs) Like like when I was watching when I was watching Lord of the Rings last night, the horses were like the the close ups of the horses were really scary to me, and then the avalanche came for them. I was like, okay, they died, great. <laughs> like it was so. Oh, we're gonna have Peta after us. No, <laughs> I have a message to Peta. It's it, I don't I don't want the horses to die. Right, I have a healthy respect for them. It's just that they're big animals, and when you're little they tell you like don't stand behind them don't spook them don't get near them they're really like anxious and i really internalized that as a kid and i never uninternalized it i can't even go to central park like i'll i cry i don't like horses <laughs> the monstrous feminine is on instagram so please leave us a comment if you do you just might get a shout out as our next witch of the week on this episode our witch of the week is amelia from australia and they said genuinely love your podcast i look forward to every episode you are also witty and fun to listen to happy one year and then they gave us a little kiss and this was on our one year anniversary post in april kisses to you
1: yeah which was in april april um, how do you guys feel about the fact that our podcast is a Taurus like me
2: I love that I love Tauruses
1: I always fall in love with Tauruses I've told you that so and I'm in love with our with us
3: so there we
2: go Amelia I hope your spooky season is full of laughs and jump scares
3: oh okay that's a very
2: <laughs> a mixed wish those are good things jump scare you know jump scares are why do we watch these movies louisa
0: (laughs) amelia we really appreciate your continued support we're so happy to have you as a member of the coven and we love you all so much and it's this week we especially are giving some extra love to amelia
2: friendly reminder that we're also on patreon for one pound a month you can gain access to our discord for three pounds a month you can hear our uncut discussions from our main episodes and for five pounds a month you get all that plus a bonus episode if you enjoy our podcast, please support us. Any contribution helps.
3: I'm going to start off by saying Richie from It reminds me of younger version of Louisa, who is making excessive, that's what she said, jokes. <laughs> like, he makes excessive your mom jokes. I feel like we're on a spiritually, like, the same vibe. When Ben says, um, dairy started as a beaver trapping camp, and Richie goes,
0: still is, am I right, boys?
3: I was floored. I, love I loved it. I'm sorry. I love that sort of immature sense of humor.
0: The writer for this movie, if I'm not mistaken, is Cary Fukunaga, and he was originally supposed to direct, but I think at the last minute, they changed the director, but I think he still penned the script for this movie.
2: This is a really excellent movie. I always have a great time. I've seen it so many times. The first time I saw it was on a plane. <gasps> Wait, same! <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this first time watching it was on a plane! It, as a villain... Is just so delicious to me like he's just an agent of chaos and like it's and part of it is that he's genuinely funny like he's a funny clown and i feel this way also about the original miniseries i don't know if that's bonus content but i'm i watched the miniseries as a kid and i really loved it and tim curry was that for me i loved tim curry's it because i thought he was funny and like i wasn't scared I, in the way that I was supposed to be like the, like you know there were moments because I was a kid and it was a, a monster targeting kids obviously I was scared but I was so in love with Tim Curry It's like like representation of him and it was before I'd seen like Rocky Horror or anything else that he'd been in but I, I clocked it as queer I clocked it as like something that like was like camp and wonderful and then like this movie came out when I was an adult and I was like there's no way it's gonna be like as good as Tim Curry's it, and it's very different but equally as delightful to me, like, like, the fact that he'll, like, hold up a kid and be like, are you scared? I think it's so funny, and, like, so, like, entertaining to watch, and his movements, I thought that, you know, that made him my favorite Skarsgård, honestly, he didn't used to be, but I was like, you really (laughs) did that, like, you did, it's unique, it's completely separate from, like, old depictions that I've seen, I didn't think that it would be some, a character that's easy to update, and I was like, Good on you. This is completely original and I like it as a a standalone film, separate from the 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 book or the series.
0: The old one didn't scare me per se. I honestly thought it was supposed to be a comedy, which maybe that says a lot about me as a child. <laughs> yeah. But this one didn't scare me either simply because I knew Bill Skarsgård was playing it. And I find him so attractive that, like, in my brain, I was just like, let's unpack that. I don't know
3: what he looks like. He's he's creepy looking. What? That's it? Yeah. I'm shook. The makeup is so good. I thought he was, like, an old, I thought, I assumed he was, like, a 40-year-old guy.
2: No, I can definitely see Bill Skarsgård, like, under the makeup. That's also what I appreciated is like he like the makeup was a a ton, but I could still like see his facial expressions through them like that, like that drooling that like drooling lip or like the way he holds his mouth is so particular to this like iteration of the character. And you can like see it through the prosthetics. I love that.
0: Also, can we talk about how amazing the kids' acting was in this movie?
2: Oh, so good! Also,
0: I just appreciate that this movie brought so many talented young actors and actresses onto the block because, like, I've seen them in other films and television shows, and they've been just as incredible. And I think before that, it was like uh, the market was very saturated with them, using like maybe two to three people and everything. I mean, Finn was in Stranger Things, but everyone else was like pretty fresh-faced onto the scene from this film, and like seeing how their careers have evolved chef's kids this is great casting
2: and their dynamics are so authentic i'm like that is exactly what it's like to be that age like it's they didn't seem too they didn't seem like too kiddy and childish but and they but they I knew they weren't teenagers, which was important, and it was like just right.
3: Apparently, a lot of the line or a lot of the dynamic between, I think, Richie's character and Eddie's character, a lot of their banter, some of it was improv, which I was like, that makes sense, because they were like, I I did get the sense of like, I don't know. It's the same thing I love about Stranger Things. It's like the kind of chemistry that I love. Between this like, young group of young people. And I think they do it so convincingly. I love Sophia Lillis. I think she's a great actress. She was in I'm Not Okay With This. And I loved I'm Not Okay With This. I will fight to the death about whoever cancelled that show. Or didn't renew it for a second season rather. I am upset. The reason is coming for you. I am coming for them. Because like that show is delicious for queer content. And they didn't renew it because of COVID. They let COVID get that show. And I'm upset. Um, and I think Sophia Lillis was amazing and I really wanted to see her in that uh, continued. But I will look forward to seeing her in other things. And all of them as well. Like they've all, been, I, I agree, they've been, in, they've been great in other things I've seen them in as well. Their chemistry, their acting, amazing.
2: they don't get into the lore so much in chapter one what and they the do lore? in chapter two you know. so i'll explain You're not at fault for not knowing <laughs> in my opinion in the like stephen king universe it and the shining are like the core of like a lot of the world building where they do a lot of the explaining of how all the stories are connected they it, all exist in the same universe okay all of stephen king's books exist in the same universe yeah so like in theory all of like other people have the shining perhaps like in the it universe but like just not in dairy, whatever. So it is an alien who crashed onto Earth when, before America was colonized. This is also, Stephen King loves himself like a, like an indigenous, like, abuse, I guess, situation. Like, he feels, I think, a lot of guilt, a lot of white guilt about just colonization. It's all on the shoulders of Stephen King. <laughs> Poltergeist, The Shining, It, all of it involves some sort of, like, Native American's interaction with the supernatural and so an alien lands on pre-colonial america it's all indigenous people living there and the alien that is it sort of takes over and like sets up camp in Derry. and he's uh, a shapeshifter or it is a shapeshifter i'm so sorry to misgender um <laughs> penny wise, like that but yeah it's a it you know we know it takes the form of whatever it Fear, it feeds off of fear and the fear of children specifically. Gen generally, like I feel like it's not about killing them as it is about like capturing them and making them float and like adding to his collection. And it and it's like it's no fun for it if it if they aren't scared and adults aren't scared as much as children are or aren't as easily scared as children are, or as
0: be- they don't believe. This is the same premise of Monsters Inc. <laughs> <laughs> the Stephen King universe exposed.
2: Explains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in chapter two, they get way, way, way more into it about like the, you know the ship that it landed on and the thing the thing the three dots when it opens its mouth you know or uh, the jaws sort of unhinge and you see like the three dots circulating in there like representative of like the alien ships that landed like there's there's. A lot of lore in this, like, thing that they don't get into, because, like, all the children know, all that we're given in this movie is that every 27 years, it wakes up from its slumber, like, does a few, like, chaotic things to children and perhaps adults, and then just goes back and then wakes up again, and like, you know, we talked about this last time, I was like, why is nobody in this town, 30 years is not a big gap, that's like cicadas, like, nobody remembers the last time this happened, it happens multiple times in people's lifetimes, the children that were the targets then become adults in the town, no one ever leaves, apparently, no one talks about it, except for... The black kids' family, I will say. He was like, my grandpa told me all about this and told me that dairy is cursed. And they had spent weeks trying to research what was going on. And he was like, oh yeah, you mean the dairy curse that happens every 27 years? Like my aunties know all about that. We've been talking about it. So I thought like, it was interesting that he was the only one who seemed to like have any suspicion beforehand besides a kid who goes to the library.
0: My grandfather thinks his town is cursed. He says that. All the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing. An evil thing that feeds off the people of Derry.
2: But it can't be one thing. We all saw something different.
0: Maybe. Or maybe it knows what scares us most and that's what we see. Stephen King's usage of Maine, which I believe is his home state, as the basis for all of his lore and horror is so fascinating because nothing really happens there. (laughs) And no one really cares that much about it on, like, a regular basis. But Hulu did a series called Castle Rock. And there's two seasons of it. And then they didn't renew it anymore. Very good, by the way. But it basically uh, has all of his universes in one. And they use, like, actors from different movies. So they use, like, the actors from Carrie. They used Bill Skarsgård. They had, like, the Shawshank Prison. It's really cool. It's also set in Maine. And, like, the actors when they were doing like a Sundance interview about it where like it was so random being in Maine because literally nothing is there. I think like Zeba spoke about this on It Follows but like there's something very fascinating about where people choose the location for horror to be because this definitely feels like it's personal to like him building a universe where he's from. But then in some movies, like we'll get to on the next episode when we do Candyman, it feels almost exploitative in a way, <laughs> depending on where the location is.
3: If I was going to write a horror, I would also pick some sort of... Mm, I wouldn't pick California. I wouldn't pick my home state. I would I would pick somewhere like s- stranger things like Indiana, one of them, like kind of vibes.
1: One thing I saw, I think, on TikTok um, was that in the It book... There's a scene with. Oh have you yeah, read it? yeah, I've heard about. I this. know all about this controversy. I know, I know
0: exactly what you're talking about.
1: The
3: kids have an orgy.
1: Yeah, I don't know how I feel. Like not even like they t- obviously don't. This scene is not doesn't exist in this film. I don't know how I feel about kids in horror movies. I'm like coming to this weird realization where I'm like I don't think, I don't think especially individuals like Stephen King. I'm not really sure they should be exploring this kind of. Adolescent narrative with all the fucked up shit. They I read were.
3: an interview where he was talking about like this film. Right, is about like the loss of childhood innocence, and he was like that orgy scene. I'm not saying it's good or it should be in there, and it's definitely misplaced. But he was saying his ex- his kind of like reasoning for that was that it was about like you know they're about to battle it or whatever whenever it happens and like that was like a symbol of like transition from adulthood to childhood sorry to adulthood and like and that weird intersection but
0: then that's weird because you're basically saying like sex is the transition from childhood to adulthood and people have sex at very young ages um and they're not necessarily adults just because they have it
3: no i don't think that's what he's saying i think he's like saying the loss of innocence in the sense that perhaps they shouldn't be having it but they did and there's like this weight and like teenagers do these things that they're not you know ready know they're to do you fucking make
1: them have an orgy to represent that
0: I, yeah I, I don't think that's please, a good idea please let's be
1: clear I'm I know not, you're not arguing for
3: the orgy scene in the book I don't think it should be there I just think that that was his reasoning for it and I'm like okay I, I understand but like and he but that was silly and he I think he even said like audiences nowadays are more like attuned to this kind of thing and they would not this does not fly this scene which is like yes of course they wouldn't be and that was a weird thing to put in a book amongst children um but also what you're saying Mila I don't necessarily think it's like wrong for children to be in horror in the sense
1: that lots of children do experience all of these things? Not all of horror. That was too general. I mean, as Zeba says, horror is porn, porn is horror. I think that there's a lot, of, a lot of themes in horror that I don't think children should be a part of or tropes. That's true. And it, for me, not this film, but like listening to like the universe of it and maybe the Stephen King material, I'm like, nah.
2: Most Stephen King stories center around kids or adolescents in some way or there's like a child in danger and I think that is the subject of his horror is like especially like the bullying points there's a lot of bullying in like in like Stephen King books and I, I don't know anything about the man's childhood I don't know like what trauma he's experienced or what he's trying to sort through but it's interesting to me that to him the scariest thing that can happen to you can happen when you're still developing. And I think this loss of innocence thing is not just a trope in It. I think it's it's in Carrie, it's in The Shining, it's in almost all of his work. And I think it's most evident in It because each kid sort of like represents a different archetype and a different type of loss of innocence. Like the two kids who aren't going through like tra- like trauma trauma are the ones going through their bar mitzvahs. Like they're literally just growing up. And to like the pr- maybe like the pressure of that is their loss of innocence like that's why that kid is scared of the painting in in the temple or like you know I think it's interesting that there are degrees of trauma that they're going through and they're all scared like what Beverly goes through is not a bar mitzvah I don't know I've heard this like argument against like almost every Stephen King narrative of like why is it kids and not adults I think because to him it's scarier like it's more disturbing like as a as a like horror writer but I think that like yeah the orgy doesn't need to be there
1: But the consumers are still adults. Well, that's worse.
0: (laughs) I think it's always weirder when there is something that is explicitly sexual using minors that is written for adults. That's always weirder. I get, like, you and Louisa's points for sure. I think I have mixed feelings about it all because, I mean, it wasn't in the movie. So, like, I can't personally say how I felt like it would have changed. No, 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 no. 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 I haven't read the book, so I can't really say how it would affect the story, but I do think horror when you're an adult is very different in the way than it is when you're a kid because like the things that you experience as a child really affect the way you are as an adult versus when you something happens as an adult, it may alter your life, but ultimately you still have like a homeostasis part of your being per se or personality that you will default back to like you have something like a baseline of you knowing who you are versus like when you're a kid you don't know who you would have been if that didn't happen like it completely changes your personality and your perception and the way that you see the world and i think that is what makes people enjoy writing about this time period and horror and also like just in all the tv shows that are based in high school and when we're like why didn't you just make them in college (laughs) It's that like that ability to say like this is a time where you can still like mold your personality and you aren't set.
2: But I think I think the use of kids in horror like at at large is like a tool because kids. Are, like like, we were saying we did found footage. How long would it take you to believe something supernatural was happening? A lot longer than it would take a kid. Like, those kids sprang into action as soon as, like, something felt a little bit off. Like, they had a moment before Richie had seen anything. Like, he was the last to see Pennywise. Where he was like, I don't know what the hell he you are He said, can only about, Virgin they- see this shit? <laughs> I love him. By the time they're adults, they're in denial I agree.
3: Again. This This movie is all about like, well, not all about, sorry, that's totalizing. But I do think this movie shows how children are more susceptible to the veil, which is something we've talked about in general. I obviously don't think the oratory scenes should have been in there. But in terms of like using children as an instrument in horror, I don't, I don't think it shouldn't not be done because I feel like children in horror have are able to access a fear in me that adults in horror cannot As long as it's used responsibly and for all intents and purposes i think these children were fine and pretty well protected on set
2: and that hasn't always been the case like kids have been fucked up by acting in horror movies
3: but apparently i think bill skarsgård was really conscious about not scaring them so in between scenes he'd be really excessively polite there's some great behind the scenes pictures of like them just goofing off with it the kid in the shining in comparison i think didn't know at all what he was filming they told him it was a drama um and like avoided the horror and then he wasn't until after he was like shit it wasn't most scary movie of all time
0: although i guess i didn't traumatize him because i sheltered him completely again i think this is like exactly what we were saying on a i don't remember what episode it was but like the the rule of thumb is if you would not receive your phd for it then it is not ethical to do on film so if you're lying to people about where they're filming or giving them like the false impression or their parents or anyone um then you're in the wrong
2: Rated R movies that star kids crack me up just always like the like watching kids watching kids swear is just always funny to me.
3: Children in horror isn't entirely off limits because I think we access really primal fears that way as long as it's done and made and produced responsibly, which I believe, as far as I'm aware, this film was. I think it's scary because it plays on your childhood fears. Like I said, like I remember being freaked out by a weird painting and like what if it transformed? I remember like you know, reading something scary like like Ben does when he stumbles across a history book. He saw something he shouldn't have because he was too young and it was graphic content. And then it appears as that history um, corpse, that corpse from the photo, from the history archives. I remember, well, I've never been afraid of the leper. And this is kind of what you're talking about, Isabel, with the degrees of trauma. Um, but the hypochondriac kid obviously sees a very diseased man. Um, but more innocent, I remember being scared of like the spooky basement. Like I'm still scared of fucking basements. And so it appears in the basement. Like, I think like that's kind of... A really pri- like a really primal way of like taking something that's quite innocuous a childhood fear and then making it the horror. I thought I like that intersection, but then obviously it gets more and more insidious because Mike's trauma of his burned alive parents, which was some sort of hinted at racially motivated attack, and then Beverly obviously with her pedophilic sexually abusive father. They are very different scales of abuse, but also there's something I wanted to pose to you guys. I couldn't quite remedy the whole excessive predation of Beverly. But then I was like, but then thinking back, I was excessively bright upon. like not to the, I didn't have an abusive father, I'm not saying it's the same situation, but like as a 13 year old, the sexual harassment, the level of like predation that I, and like attention that I got from like old men. It didn't men, feel unrealistic, yeah, honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking, is this a film trying to cast like Sophia Lillis in like an, uh, a creepy eye? Or is it actually a realistic portrayal of what it's like to be a 13 year old girl or however old she is supposed to be? Because honestly, that's kind of how it was back in the day. I
2: thought the point was supposed to be everybody told her, like all anybody ever had to say about her was that she was like sexual or sexualized. And I think she got to a point, like when she was at the pharmacy and she's like, well, I'm going to use this because this is all people have to say about, I think she was very self-aware. I don't think that she you know, was like more magnetic than any other child. But I do think that like as the subject of rumor, it's how she saw herself and it's where she saw her like power and like how she could control people and I think that like see there's a lot of there's a lot of pedophiles in Stephen King as well but I feel like that's because he finds it to be a, a very scary thing. Like the most scary thing in the world is like an adult who betrays children. And I and like for those for those adults to be everywhere, like nobody helped the bullies were gonna kill them. There was nobody to help them. The cops were not gonna help them, their teachers were not gonna help them, their parents were either abusive or useless.
0: This is the adults are useless thing we were saying about in teen horror, though. I think this movie did something that I think that like doesn't happen often in movies or like that we don't talk about but how intense like the sexual harassment is from people the same age as you when you're like a teenage girl and you, I would say like the 12 to 15 year old period and you start like developing like the comments from male peers at that age are so horrifying and make you like very aware of your body in ways that you're not. We don't really talk about how much guys your own age when you're young and developing make you uncomfortable with your body. Like it is very much like from a, Uh, adult male gaze perspective which that is uncomfortable but what you encounter more than often is like people making weird rumors or saying things about oh this girl has the biggest tits in the seventh grade or something and it makes you so uncomfortable
2: and those rumors were inescapable for her like i like i think she reached a point where she's like well i'll just everybody thinks this about me anyway like i'm just gonna but like yeah what you're saying is so true i used to teach sixth grade you get kids of a certain age in a space and they think they're grown. Like that's the other part of it is they think that they know what, what like the politics and power of sex is and they don't. And that's what makes it so dangerous is nobody teaches them any level of like, we can teach them consent, but we don't teach them like respect for each other or that like lying on somebody or judging somebody for what they do with their body is like, or don't do is like completely inappropriate because we're like afraid to talk to like middle grade kids about sex
3: especially in america as well like america is extremely
2: repressed to have a horror movie based in that kind of fear is like like so primal yeah exactly
3: which is why i'm not writing it off i just think do it
1: responsibly yeah being 12 to 15 like that time period you gave ty like that was the most i was ever catcalled especially if i was in my school uniform. Our sex ed was so clinical, like we talked about our reproductive systems, but then there wasn't anything about the transition in our bodies, there wasn't anything about the intimacy of sex, anything beyond it being like you menstruate or you can conceive and have a child. There wasn't anything about like how it actually feels to embody certain things. Although that is a great basis for horror, I think I just like feel very uncomfortable depending on who is creating it and also then who is watching it.
0: Also like this time period is like when I felt like dress codes at my school were enforced a lot more because when I was in like fifth grade and stuff, no one really cared what we wore. But like when I hit sixth grade, it was like no spaghetti straps, no ripped jeans or anything. And it was not really enforced at all for the boys at my school. Like they would come to school wearing anything there was even like a time period where they started wearing those shorts that are called like chubbies that are short shorts wow for men. bring back chubbies <laughs> none of them ever got in trouble but it was like the awareness of like how my teachers policed my body made me have even more like confusion during this time period and i feel like i've also seen like a lot of young girls on social media talk about like how their teachers police what they wear especially coming out of like that covid quarantine and people being very comfortable wearing like lounge wear or having like that t- Time away from school to be like comfortable in your body enough to wear whatever you want, and then coming back and having immediately like put in this spectrum of people being like, but you can't wear this because it's too tight, and that'll distract the boys. It's like it makes young women feel like their body is just a display for men. If something is flattering for your figure, oh, it's too distracting for a man, and like that is such a violent way to address the maturation of the female body.
3: I remember a PE teacher telling me like. I couldn't wear like, I had an off the shoulder like top once and they were like, you can't wear this. And she told me a story. She was a woman. She told me a story of like when she wore like a blue thong under white shorts and how everyone made fun of her. And that's why I couldn't wear a strapless top because someone might pull it down and like see my breasts. And it was all about this like fear of like what might happen. And I was like, but that's not going to happen if I surround myself with
2: respectful people. Like that's on them. Yes, And also like, if something happens, you should punish that somebody. Yeah, straight up actually my school left it up to student council to decide the dress code but the student council was all senior boys like my classmates and they decided to make a stricter dress code i'm like you don't want to see some bitches in leggings like what is wrong with you? you 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 sound so bitter you're dead ass just exerting power over your peers right now it was fucked up it was like i understand why the administration was like all right our hands are off it y'all decide and I'm like but the demographics of this of the student council were like republican boys
3: we're really unlocking a lot of like childhood things because I remember in terms of like young boys policing your body a I got so like honestly so much shit for being like flat-chested like it was ridiculous the amount of ridicule like even from like my crush she was like oh I was saving you for high school in, like I he like why he wouldn't date me at the time in middle school because I would be like more developed in high school. Like that was a fucked up thing to say. I got like, yeah, it was like relentless. Like I was like, and I never really had a thing. Like I probably would have been fine. But like boys and like your peers in general make you so aware of your body. All of this rant to say that Beverly's depiction was, it was borderlining. Like I'm sure there were probably some creeps who watched this movie and were like, yeah, cause she is like the object of affection and like, but I think it's also, such a good commentary on like how much everyone preys on like this particular age group of young women regardless of what you look like it's like you know it's relentless so yeah this film was like a very like strong commentary even if it made me uncomfortable even if it made me uncomfortable like watching it
1: i mean that's okay of course feeling uncomfortable
3: is like important to like it, like, shifts you out of held yeah. beliefs about things. I mean, it romanticized her. Like, there's, like, slow motion and the boys, like, check her out and they, like, very much make her, like, this, like, you know.
2: But that's, like, a peer-to-peer. Like, they weren't saying anything foul to her. Like, it makes sense that they were, like, they're the same age. They're attracted to her. They have a crush on her. Like, that felt, like, not creepy. But, like, I, I think, I think the, like, panic that I feel, like, the increased blood pressure I feel, like, in the pharmacy scene, for instance, I feel, like, is a tool of the horror and was done on purpose to, like, highlight something can we talk about the bullies for a sec that is not bullying that is assault like i was we were t- i was talking with my friends about like there was this point in our like middle school era where like they were gonna crack down on bullying like that was like the campaign everywhere 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 and they would show these graphic like documentaries and like things in school about like people who'd been like brutalized by school bullies and i'm like Actually, you've just raised the bar for what is bullying way too high because now nobody thinks they're being bullied unless they're being physically assaulted.
3: We've talked about this with a teen horror episode as well, or maybe some kind of... I think it was one of those episodes where we talked about, like, the portrayal of bullying. And it's also, like, how schools tackle bullying. Because, like you're saying, Zayba, when you're calling it, like, oh, you're bullying, you really minimize and diminish what it is. And at the same time, overlooking the harm that lesser forms of, like, so verbal or harassment or whatever forms of bullying can look like. It's kind of like you do both sides a disservice because you should be calling... it calling, um, Like, I knew the story of this guy who had, like, you know horrible and they called it bullying and his you know bulliers did not get charged uh for like assault like they should have simply because it was like deemed like young school bullying it's like well no if it's a case of like violent assault you need to call it what it is like bullying has to have a scale and like a limit to it and at the same time and then you can focus on what it is and then you can actually tackle it because if you're just showing children like violent like stuff and this is what bullying is you're overlooking the other forms of it
2: are lesser not lesser but like different They never went for help. Like, the rock fight was insane. You're telling me you went home to your parents after- You could have died. Couple of concussions, you're out. And they came back, like, bruised up, beat up, fucked up. Their parents never said-
3: He had a name carved in his stomach. He straight up was carved.
0: I think that the way that boys deal with bullying is very different from how girls deal with bullying, though. And I think part of like the pride thing of like them being this age and like growing up made them not want to tell their parents because it would look like, oh, you're just a kid who's going to yell to mommy and daddy. Like, I think it would have looked like that. And that was part of the reason why they didn't tell. But also like when I see movies like this, I'm like, tell your parents because, yeah, I told my mom and I was like, no, I'm out. Schools I feel like don't really do anything about bullying. I feel like they really underestimate how dumb it is to sit down and talk to people in the room with their bullying.
2: We knew the cops weren't going to do anything because the cop was his dad. And then the cop turned out to be a bully towards him. And it was like a never ending cycle. What did y'all think about him getting like, did he get possessed? What happened to him?
3: He got like possessed. Like it's just bad. Like he corrupts the TV, he kind of sends messages. He sends subliminal messages to encourage violence and chaos. Like you said, he's an agent of chaos. So he's like, I'm going to pull at this thread and see what happens. So I think he was possessed but also this guy was fucking troubled psychotic child anyway if he's color- he had like terrible anger management issues because of his own trauma and abuse. So it didn't take much to pull on that thread. So I think it's not so it's more of like a subliminal message more so than possession to me, but like I guess they're kind of twinned in this scenario. When it appears to Beverly as her father and she like kind of tackles him by being- by like shoving a pole down his throat. I mean obviously very penetrative. It gave me like rape revenge kind of thing, um, which kinda had kind of monfem vibes for me. But most of all, the mon femme was obviously the very bloody blood sink scene, which is probably one of my favorite scenes in horror, I'm not gonna lie. I do not really know why I just think it was really well done like I liked I think I just like I didn't I didn't like it but I I liked the realistic depiction of like the horror around Beverly and I thought the whole transition and anxiety of transitioning from like a young girl to like when you menstruate and like what that signals for like people like women and being having to like then be sexualized excessively by your peers and like that anxiety and also what it meant for her father and how he viewed her like this just all sort of male gazes on upon her and she just had such internalized fear about it and i liked how the movie really played on that
2: anxiety by like making this excessively bloody scene come up when he couldn't see the blood that i remember the first time i watched it that was like got to me i was like and that they continued to clean it up i was like what is this like what is like it it made for a mess that only children have to clean up and that was like I don't know that's like as a a metaphor I thought that was like really well done because I'm like I guess if they can't see it you don't have to clean it up but they feel the need to help her because they can't just like leave it that way
3: yeah it it did seem like kind of helping her deal with that trauma metaphorically of like that transition between like child to what society or other people would deem adulthood because just simply because you're menstruating even though you menstruate before you're conscious of your body and it's part of development but people view it as like you're a woman now and it's very gendered and sexualized and it's uncomfortable so i liked that scene i liked the play on blood in general i like bloody scenes because of the abject and as a horror fan it was very mon femme and I also think hair in a drain's fucking disgusting. We don't talk about it enough how disgusting that is. The unspoken abject. It's an unspoken abject. The fucking, the part in Raw, when she was throwing up the hair, it was disgusting to me. So I, I'm not gonna lie. Only because I think that's not a horror abject, if you're right, that's done enough, is like discarded hair in a drain. It just plays on a whole bunch of anxieties. I'm not, and it's just so well done. And like I said, I love Sophia Lillis. because so this is like, and this is like one of the main scenes of hers. So I just thought this whole scene was like chef's kiss of horror. And menstruation as an object plays on that. Everything Creed says about this comes to light in this scene, for sure.
1: You're forced into experiencing body horror if you menstruate at a young age.
3: It gushes out uncontrollably. Well, to be fair, that's not exactly what a period is like, but I can see the similarities there of like uncontrollable bleeding. How do you stop it? Why is it happening? Not my father, no one can see it and explain it to me kind of thing. It has quite similar to Baba Duke, I thought, this, this film. Pennywise appears on like the sort of film projection in the movie and like what and also like TV and stuff and Duck also kind of appears in um in the TV like you said Zepa about and Amila about like the kind of camp kind of vibe to the villain I thought they were very funny I thought it made sense why they were shipped on the internet on Tumblr Pennywise and
2: Duck. that's brilliant you never knew that you're right they're obviously boyfriends I've been so blind I'm obsessed with that.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: Aren't they on two different continents? They meet in the upside down for dick appointments.
3: Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The monfempod. Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to be our next Witch of the Week. We also have a TikTok. Follow us at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out.